Hi, I'm Will Hannafin, and welcome to this seasonal edition of Sure Twas Better. Settle in for the next hour as we trawled through RTE's extensive archive in the entertaining company of Pauline McGlynn, Jules Call, and Emer McLeisett, who have to figure out if it was better or if it was worse back then. In this edition, we hear the ancient art of keening in action on the Aran Islands. Oh, oh no. They sure don't make panto like they used to. Oh, no, they don't. Here's Maureen Potter as Mother Goose back in 1981 with a very special guest. There's only one woman that can advise me. <laughs> yes, Mother Goose, yeah. I'm here. What's your problem? Because what's your problem today may be somebody else's problem tomorrow. We'll come back to Frankie later. Oh yes, we will. But first, here's a little gem from the archive. Back in 1971, RTE compiled a tape of the sounds of Ireland and it was an intriguing mixed bag of uniquely Irish scenes like this evocative clip of the bells of Christchurch in Dublin bringing in the new year. Let's bring in our Sure Twas Better panel of Pauline, Jules and Emer. Is this I, like ASMR from back in the day? <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to admit that the only bit I like about the sounds, if you like, of, of New Year's Eve is the bells. It is. Um, lovely, ringing yeah. it in. That's gorgeous. And other than that, um, I've, I'm just, Love I rubbish. hate it because um, I just don't like the passage of time and marking it, you know, and the people who are missing and the whole lot. Mm. I don't want to dwell on it that is, at all, you know. There I'd, is something kind of melancholic about it. Yeah, yeah. but the bells, yeah, they they help. They're just that last little push mm. into a new year. And I suppose we should be proud to make another journey round the sun. But, um, you know, the bells, that's it. Other than that, I don't think the rest of it are a bit annoying, I won't lie. I think that those bells, the sounds we heard there were from a, a thing in 1971 that they did called Sounds of Ireland, where they just gathered different kind of audio uh, clips uh. and things like Riots in Derry, The Last Tram. I wonder what would what would we put in for 2023 the yeah. sounds of Ireland. Sounds of Ireland. Yeah, well, I've seen more it. riots. Riots, yeah. Jeepers. In in Dublin, for instance, we could have riot sounds. Yeah, definitely. maybe a ding ding of a Lewis. Oh, yeah, yeah that's a very distinctive yeah. sound for yeah. modern yeah, day. Yeah, it is. Yeah, is, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I was thinking the coins of some, when someone misses the basket at a, at a toll plaza. Brilliant. Electric car. The electric oh, yeah. car sound is a whole new thing as well, mm-hmm. and very common now. And also, yeah, the hush of electric vehicles. Yeah, which yeah, are coming in, yeah. You know, um, it's quite good. Sadly, I think there'd be a lot of um, catcalling and racism. Um, mm. uh, you know, if we wanted to be really honest about things, um, we've had rather ungenerous end to the year, I think, yeah. you know, um, with, you know, hostels being burnt out and so on. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, they're, they're all quite modern sounds now, I suppose, yeah. are they? Yeah. I, <laughs> I should have said modern, shouldn't I there? Yeah. <laughs> Feeling old now, <laughs> but thankfully bells, bells like the bells of Christchurch or whatever. Yeah. Thankfully, they are always going to be fabulous yeah. and and always something magical about them. Mm. Another sound of Ireland included in that compilation was the sound of a woman on the Iron Islands keening. Keening is the traditional form of vocal lament for the dead, usually associated with Ireland and Scotland. It was once an integral part of Irish funerals, but. By the time this recording was made, it was almost totally extinct. Oh, 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 oh,
God, I was just thinking what it must have been like to hear that live. I mean, we're hearing it yeah. quite an old mm. clip from 1971. Yeah. I would have loved to have heard it Haunting. in person. Yeah, yeah, spooky, all right, isn't it? Although, mind you, I think we only heard the end there, the, the finish of it, because it was 53 verses and <laughs> of the word ohon. Um So, you know, it's one of those songs that you know and love and instantly recognise. Yeah, you don't need all That's a classic, verses all right. Of, yeah, the ohon I wonder, are, are, I presume there are still people on the Aran Islands oh, keening. So. Uh, yeah, and I, I think, look, if you can have Shan Nose dancing, and I insist that we must, mm-hmm. um, of course, there'd be keeners all over the... Um, all over the country. What I love about Keenan and stuff like that is that, like, you know, it's all people, the, the local talent, if you like, you know, the people who are good at things like that, you know, are singing. And it's it's not trained or anything. The same kind of with the Shannos dancers. You're looking and you're thinking, you know, it's in no way does it resemble river dance or anything like that. But the skill and mm. the, the the joy and the talent of it. Now, obviously, not much in the old horn, oh, um, but I guess you know if you're having laughter, then you have to have sorrow as well. Mm-hmm. Those are, you know, that's the trade-off. Let's go right back to the 1930s with this clip, and I really need to watch my p's and q's with this one. Now, also, Susan sent me uh, an archive tape. This is a recording of Ethel Kane offering advice to telephonists the length and breadth of the country in 1935, and being as she was the newly selected golden voice, they were to pay particular attention to her advice on dealing with irate callers, amongst other things. I really feel that half the irate subscriber trouble would be eliminated if the telephonist gave full value to her operating expression. To begin with, avoid a dreamy voice. That's all very well at a tea party, but it is out of place in the exchange. Speak briskly, but not at the expense of tone and expression. And above all, try to sound cheerful, say, Number please, not normally, and if you have to ask the subscriber to repeat, what number please, not what normally, and if there's no reply to the call, say, I'm sorry, there's no reply, not I'm sorry, there's no reply, as if you thought, hooray, I'm glad, and the subscriber was quite silly to ask for the number in the first place. Also, don't rush things too much, let the subscriber understand you the first time when you say, I'm still trying to get them. But if you will repeat the number, I will change the line. Don't waste time by saying, still trying to get them, but if you'll repeat the number, I'll change the line. And then having to repeat it. I think one of the biggest things that a leftist has to guard against is the habit of chanting. When one says exactly the same words day after day, it is fatally easy to drop into this chant, which, when once acquired, like all bad habits, is extremely difficult to eradicate. For instance, when supervising a call, say, I'm trying to get them, not I'm trying to get them, which you'd recognize as being quite stupid if you stopped to think about it. If you were talking to a friend, you wouldn't say, how are you? I'm very pleased to see you. So you shouldn't operate in this way. And finally, this demonstration. I will now demonstrate to you the proper tone and inflection to use with a few of the commoner operating expressions. Try them over for yourselves and get into the habit of expressing their meanings when you use them in actual operating at the switchboard. Number, please. What number, please? What number are you wanting, please? I'm trying to get them. Two pennies, please. Have you finished? I'm sorry, the number is engaged. Your time is up. Will you finish, please? Advice for telephone operators. Recorded in 1935 by Ethel Kane, who had been selected as the girl with the golden voice. For that award, she was actually conferred with 10 guineas. And what became of her subsequently? Well, she changed her name to Jane Kane, left the post office and had a stage career. And her whereabouts? Well, British Telecom couldn't confirm uh, exactly, but said when last heard of, she was in an old folks home, I think in the Brighton area. What do Pauline, Jules and Emer make of it all? Oh my oh, word. I wasn't expecting that ending at all. No, her whole life right there. Would oh. 100% watch a documentary about the life and times Though, of that's okay. Would I? Ten oh. guineas. Wow. Yeah. I have to say, now mind you, when she was giving her advice in her beautiful golden voice, 
kind of took the mischief and crack out of being a telephonist, don't you? It must be a very boring and yes. challenging job. Like, I was that irate caller yesterday <laughs> onto PayPal, you know, going, no, no, listen to me. I did that, uh, Ellie. Uh, you know, and uh, whatever. And she was so patient with me. You know, we were both standing our ground, but I was a little bit wrong. So, um, you know, so... I, I can see why they might want to sometimes just trot out the, um, you know, the by rote, you know, please, um, which I have never heard someone say. But um, Ethel obviously clearly thought that that's what people were saying if they weren't putting their back into it. I really you know, enjoyed of number, please. I really enjoyed some of the common um, phrases that they were used. What number are you wanting, please? Yes. yes. And have you finished? <laughs> <laughs> I'd hire you, Emery. You could definitely have 10 oh, yeah. guineas. Yeah, golden voice for sure. I'd be great briskly, to sound cheerful, not in a dreamy tone. Yeah, she didn't yeah. like the... Oh, that's only for two Although parties. it would be very annoying if you were placing kind of, you know, a professional caller, you're getting through to an operator and they were like, hiya. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though you'd understand where they were coming from, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, when she gave her own version of the things and how they might, she, she, you know, answer the, the phone, she sounded like, she was computerised almost, mm. didn't she? How did it work? Remind me back in the day. So you made, you picked up the phone to make a call and you were through to Ethel or whoever it was. And what were they doing? Like a switchboard? Yeah, yeah they had to place the call for you, I yeah. think. Wow. Yeah. I remember once making a mistake. I went up, um, uh, the Rays who lived two doors up for us, from us in Galway, um, they had a phone, we didn't. And I went up to ring RTV rentals uh, about something. And instead the, I said to the operator, can you put me through to RTE? Oh. And I was hanging on there for like about five, seven minutes and I thought, oh, I said the wrong thing. So I just hung up and ran away. And I've never told the Rays that, so I'd like to apologise now. Oh my God, then the Rays got yeah. a bad rep. I'd say, yeah. Oh no. Let's find out a little bit more about Ethel Kane. Ethel was actually the original voice of the UK speaking clock. The clip we just heard was from a record for the GPO helping other staff improve their speaking voice. Now, for something Completely different. This is a recording of the Mother Goose Panto from 1981, featuring Maureen Potter and a very special guest. Is there no one to tell me which way? Is there no one? Come with me! Do you mind, please? I, I could go off you very easily now. Dear Mother Goose, you must make up your mind. And I know. We have other destinies to decide. I'm sorry, I know, you see. I know that. But I'm like Scarlett O'Hara. I like to do today, you know, what I shouldn't do tomorrow, yeah. if you know what I mean. Or put off till tomorrow what I should do today. So I'll tell you some more. What are you going to do? Look at Mrs. There's only one woman that can advise me. Yes, Mother Goose, I'm here. What's your problem? Because what's your problem today may be somebody else's problem tomorrow. This is worth the price of the admission alone. Oh, just hearing Frankie's voice oh. there. Oh, she's amazing. And that's a really good gag as well, <laughs> isn't it? Yes, it's brilliant. Um, Frankie is, I'll say, uh, she's our favourite presenter yeah, of all time, mm-hmm. isn't she? No, I know we love Larry Gogan and the whole lot, but mm, for all round, you Every know, time we do this female empowerment. Please, a bit of Frankie. Yeah, yeah, please, love Frankie. Frankie. Oh, that is brilliant that she did Panto. Oh, wow. I, I wonder now, was inspiring. it, was it, she, ah, yeah, as a joke, she was like, oh, yeah, or was she a fully paid up member of the cast? Oh, yeah. Yes. yeah. Was she recorded from, you know, like that she'd be from on high and were there residuals? So many questions. I know. So many questions. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, lucky people in the audience that night. Oh, that is fantastic. And also brilliant to hear Maureen Potter mm. do her thing as yeah. well. I mean, there's a reason why she was always Queen uh, yeah, Panto. Yeah. And I think we even got it from that tiny, mm-hmm. tiny clip. Ah, oh, that is it. That's, That's made magic. my 2023. Sorry, lads. <laughs> um, I'm the happiest bunny out. <laughs> Gosh, there's a lot of love in the room for Frankie. For the uninitiated, Frankie Byrne was a pioneer in Irish radio and her show, Dear Frankie, ran for 22 years from 1963 to 1985. The show allowed people to share confidences and seek advice about love and relationships. Here's a typical example from the RTE archives from 1979. 
This is Frankie Byrne coming to you on RT Radio 1 with another edition of Woman's Page, a programme for maybe about you. Now, the problems I'll be discussing today may not be yours, but they could be someday. At all events, Woman's Page draws us material from the lives and events of real people. And it comes to you now with the compliments of Jacobs, the Biscuit Makers. I'm 22 and for the past eight months I've been going out with a very nice boy of my own age. Now we get on great together. We've talked of getting married one day. Not yet though. And he says I'm the only one for him. Frankie, you may wonder what my problem is. Well, it's this. Having made all those declarations of love and intent, he gets very moody and he doesn't make a date for the next night. And then when we meet again, he plays it very cool with me. And sometimes he even breaks dates. And then, out of the blue, he's all over me again. What do you think of this situation? Do you think he's interested in me, or is he just playing around? You're sincerely, Greta. Well, Greta, this is not the first time I've received a letter like this, almost exactly like this in every detail. Some young girl finds herself taken up and thrown aside, and picked up again like a toy. And always the uppermost thought in her mind is, is this boy interested, or is he just playing around? Now, it seems to me that by changing her tactics slightly, this girl could free herself from all that unhappiness and uncertainty by daring to ask herself this question. Am I really interested in this immature boy who hasn't even got the sensitivity to realise that I'm a human being and not some lifelike model sent by Providence to satisfy his emotional whims? But no... Always they search their own hearts and minds, trying to find out where the fault lies. And I simply can't tell them that there's no fault involved, that they are just victims of foolishness, their own and the boys. It's sad that they should allow themselves to be treated in this way, because unhappiness, if we must suffer it, and we must suffer it at times, it should spring from some deeper source than the trivial impulses of some sub-adult youth and a girl's confused desire to please him. Now, in saying this, I suppose I'll be accused of being harsh or cynical. But consider the situation more closely. Here's a girl anxious, as most girls are, to achieve a significant relationship in their lives. Now, I think that's the trouble with girls. They're too earnest. And I have to say this, most times in too much of a hurry to establish this all-important relationship. This particular girl has the bad luck to meet a boy who simply doesn't yet know the meaning of human relationships. He thinks it perfectly reasonable to peddle a line of romantic conversation to a willing listener whenever the notion takes him, without feeling the slightest compunction about dropping her when he gets tired of listening to himself talking. And all the while hears his victim upsetting herself over his waywardness, seeking the fault in herself, and wasting her time and her emotions, wondering whether he's interested. Well, I don't care what anyone thinks. To me, it's just thoughtless cruelty, and it should not be encouraged. What I would say to this girl is, that any man who can behave as this one has done, really is not worth the trouble she's taking.
This is an intriguing clip about buried treasure with an original report from 1958 which was rebroadcast in an RTE archive show from 1988. Let's have a listen and get a pen and paper ready. Nothing is calculated to improve people's hearing more than the mention of buried treasure and the finding of a map to indicate where it can be found. Well, this is what happened around the area of Castle Coote in County Roscommon in September of 1958. Here now is the report from Provincial News Roundup on that date, introduced by Carl Jones. Our stories this week will range from the glamorous and ambitious Cork Film Festival to the opening of a big new cattle mart and from a do-it-yourself building scheme for farmers to culture in the Midlands. For our first report, I'll hand the microphone over to Paddy Leamy of Roscommon, whose intriguing subject is Buried Treasure. Here he is to tell you about how it started. Some months ago, a map was found in an old house at Castle Coote, County yes. Roscommon. Yes, that's quite so. The, the map was found in a house, the walls of which were once part of Castle Coote, the castle built by Sir Charles Coote, Cromwellian soldier. Yes. That the map says that there's a treasure buried someplace around, and uh, Mr. S- William Scanlon of Dunamon, a well-known archaeologist and antiquarian, has taken possession of the map and he's now doing research on it. Uh, Mr. Scanlon has a long experience of this kind of work, for in addition to everything else he's a diviner of both metal and water. And I'm just going to ask him now where he thinks this treasure might be located. Well, to the best of my belief, uh, when studying the map, I think that uh, you, between, uh, from Rolach Re along in the along to the Ballinasloe direction, I'd say that I'd find the uh, treasure um, in a short period of time if the weather had been fine. I'd located. I'd be inclined to think uh, in approximately a few square miles because I have figured the thing out on the map, although it's not a scale, and yet I have uh, noted some stoneworks. I've noted also the home of Sliven the Bard, which is a landmark to me, uh, in line with another landmark, which I am not divulging at the time, but I have no doubt, but by putting a little uh, pains and time into the thing, but I'd locate it sometime later. If I do, I will report. I'll start, in fact, from, you might say, the, the shores of Lothry uh, on towards Kiltoom, and then in a line for the Ballinasloe direction. Now, what size, approximately, is this map? Well, the map is approximately 3 foot 9 for measurement. I have measured it. It's approximately uh, breadth 3 foot 9 by 4 foot broad. And it's in a good state of preservation? It certainly is, because uh, the back of it has been uh, pasted with, or the map itself has been pasted onto a very, very thick brown paper. And uh, would you tell me this now? Would you say it was done by an expert or an amateur? It was certainly done by an expert. Someone who had an amateur. It was certainly done because you can know that the the, the quibbles round Lahri the correspond in every detail to the maps that are the first class drawn. Well, now of course there are many experts like yourself whom you know. I suppose you have discussed this matter with them. I have discussed it with a few, and uh, as there is uh, attached to the map the clue. To where it will be found, I have certainly a very good idea of its location at the present time. Buried treasure in Roscommon. And indeed, 30 years later, it would be interesting to learn from listeners in the area if indeed the treasure was found, although somehow I doubt if it was. I feel like Mr. Scanlon and the archaeologist may have found that treasure uh, and made I off with it. I was thinking the same thing myself. I love yeah. the way he wouldn't reveal one of the landmarks. Oh, that he yeah. would give a couple of clues as to the direction he was heading off, but you won't know that particular well, landmark. I have to say, I can understand how people get fixated with treasure. Just from that, the thrill of finding mm. that huge map, number one, and recognising things on it and everything. And in fact... <laughs> I'm going to divulge right now that I will be going to the Lockery, Kiltoom, Ballinasloe area um, to gather together a posse to go treasure hunting in 2024. Early 2024, like 
in the next few days because it might still be out there unless as you say he found it and he ran off with mm. artefacts and we're thinking yeah. this treasure may have belonged to a Sir Charles Coote a Cromwellian soldier so mm. anything we can take back from a Cromwellian yes. soldier we'll have it <laughs> to hell or to conduct indeed oh I'm getting obsessed with this now I have a new obsession oh a huge map as well yeah four foot by three foot yeah even that alone would look mm. lovely on your wall I was it? wondering though yeah. why would you buy like if you're going to make a map that somebody can read and just steal your tread, I just don't really get the whole point of it. Definitely hidden, an expert. hidden in a wall though and everything. Yeah, that's so actually, maybe, that's true. Yeah, You know, maybe it was a, a safety policy of some sort for themselves to remember where they'd put the treasure. Maybe they, they died before they could go and You'd be absolutely second if the treasure was just like some family heirloom, like some old pair of baby shoes or something. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Maybe oh, it's still I need there. to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh. Right, get your boots. Let's go. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh, I'm, I've got so much, so much research to do now on, on William Scanlon and the whole um, Cromwellian soldiers, the yeah. whole lot. Have you got I'm, a compass? I'm looking what forward else do we need? to this. Oh, I'm out. I don't have the hiking boots now, but you're right. A compass is the next thing. And yeah. the sandwiches. Yes, you're, you're going oh. to have to find a landmark that relates to Slevin the Bard. Which oh, I enjoyed. Yeah. Another Again, clue for you there. Researches uh, need to be done. Oh, this is exciting. 2024. Mm. Sorted. Will you search through the lonely earth for me? Climb through the briar and bramble. I'll be your treasure. I felt the touch of the kings and the breath of the wind I knew the call of all the songbirds They sang all the wrong words I'm waiting for you I'm waiting for you some post-Christmas nostalgia with this heartwarming recording of St Stephen's Day traditions from the 1970s. Christmas Day, a quiet day at home with memories and stories and family reunion. St Stephen's Day, a day of sport and frolic, hunting the fox and going out with the wren boys. Randa ran, the king of all boars, St Stephen's Day was caught in the forest. Although he was little, his honour was great. Jump up, my lads, and give us a treat. As I went out to kill an all, I met a ran upon the wall. Up at me wattle and knocked him down and brought him into Carrick Town. Drolling, drolling, where's your nest? Is in the bush that I love best. Is in the bush, the holly tree, where all the boys do follow me. Up with the kittle and down with a pan and give us a penny to bury the ran. I followed the ran three miles or more, three miles or more, three miles or more. I followed the ran three miles or more at six o'clock in the morning. I have a little box under me arm, under me arm, under me arm. I have a little box under me arm, a penny or toppings will do it no harm. Oh, Mrs. Clancy's a very good woman, a very good woman, a very good woman. Mrs. Clancy's a very good woman, she gives us a penny to bury the ran. I want to hear more ben about Mrs. Clancy. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, 
I do love that song Me except too. for killing the wren. Mm. Why would you kill a little wren? Drooling. Oh, I have them in my back garden so oh. I can, I can just, they're very elusive creatures. So pretty when you see one. They, you know, they just flit about the place. You have to be quick. But I, I quite like the old tradition of going around on Stevens' Hunt, day. Hunting the wren. Yeah. 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 Um, rather, not killing them obviously, but um, you know, just around singing and yeah. it, it's it a great catchy song, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's just, I'll be singing it all yeah. day. It'll be, Doesn't it be Halloween into a cocktail. Yeah, yeah. a bit. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be a great part. You know, they sometimes people are like, "What's your uh, karaoke song?" <laughs> I might learn every verse of that. Yes, and then just get up in the middle of a karaoke. Amazing. Sorry, yeah. I don't need a screen. I'm just yeah. going to sing this. I'm, I'm going to choose a Kono a Kono, yeah. um, the uh, the Keening song. So yeah, we've got we've got that evening sorted right now. We've got our karaoke picks over buried treasure once it's discovered. Yes. It's fantastic. We'll be dancing in the aisles. Oh. A rare interview here with the Hollywood star Fred Astaire, whose sister married the Duke of Devonshire, who owned Lismore Castle. Hence the reason this RTE interview happened in County Waterford in 1969. Now, this knowledge of Ireland that you have um, collected, acquired and stored up over the years that you've been coming here, did you find that this knowledge was of any great help to you in the making of the recent release of yours that we had here in Ireland, Finian's Rainbow, which incidentally was quite successful? Oh, thank you. Well, yes, indeed, I did. I got to the point of listening very carefully. Uh, well, by, you know, by force of habit, I listened to so much, so many Irish, Irishmen that I, I was able to rub off on me a little bit, and I tried to imit- imitate in a maybe probably a little um, exaggerated way. I don't know, but I, I felt very Irish while I was doing it. I felt like Finian, you know. I thought I was that fellow, and that was that. I slept... <laughs> All uh, thinking about him, and I woke up in the morning the same way. And, uh, well, here I go, you see, now you got me going on that. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you struck me as having really thoroughly enjoyed making that film. I did. I enjoyed the film. I thought uh, I, I, I liked it. I liked the people I worked with. I, I thought that the film was too long in spots. I think they could have chopped out about five minutes here and five minutes there or something would... I, I don't I don't like drawn out um, scenes. You know I think it, it, it's important to know when to start, but it's more important to know when to stop yeah. on any particular scene or dance number or sequence. You know, and I felt this thing just slopped over. To, to put it uh, well, I didn't want to use too sloppy a word, but there it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it did do that in some scenes. I thought, oh come on, get over with it. Not the ones that I was in so much, but some of them that I saw. I mean, I, most of the things I did, I was able to uh, say, look, this is too, I, let's chop what we can. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, was, I, I think it was a good movie and I certainly enjoyed doing it. Well, it was tremendous for me because I really enjoyed watching you and this Thank kind you. of saying, and I wish I could do the same thing. Thank you. Oh my God, you can I, hear him change and going, I can't believe I just said that. Just keep talking. Well, I don't know I what I'm saying now. Just thinking, if you, if some movie star did that today, yeah. just completely rinsed some film they were just did and said yeah. it was yeah. slopped over some of the Whoa. scenes. Yeah, it's Imagine the headlines. Remarkable. I love it though. I'm now mm. officially in love with Fred Astaire. And I'm just thinking, you know, if he were d- looking at some of the movies uh, we've had in 2023, he would be appalled yes. because there was a whole slew of the three hour movies weren't they God, three yeah. and a half hours too long Sorry. and I think he's he's right about mm, I like wasting it. people's time I like a tight I, 90 you know, a tight 90 me minutes too, yeah. me too yeah. with no interval yeah. now we're getting back to the time where they're in the cinema saying um, we may have to have just a little a little break yeah. um, I remember that from when I was growing up sometimes they'd, they'd slot in for Lawrence of Arabia there was a little interval although so I do fun. enjoy especially I think the Cineworld Cinema here in Dublin shows a lot of Bollywood films and they just traditionally almost always have an interval which is very enjoyable but yeah we don't need these three hour war epics no, no 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 I'm going to have to check out Finian's Rainbow yeah. now aren't I just to see how check out his his accent in fairness though in Fred Astaire's defence I think Finian's Rainbow was almost two and a half hours long Whew. Oh which, my word which you know back in the late 60s that's a lot yeah, yeah. It is. on the one hand you say to yourself yeah well that's value for money if you've paid into the cinema <laughs> but secondly what if you hated it and you wanted that two and a half hours back of your life yeah. I'm going to have to check it out do we know who directed it? 
it was I think Francis Ford Coppola. Oh my which maybe goodness. maybe gives some maybe yeah, he was uh, a bit yeah. too fond. Oh, we need to he likes a long movie. He does like a long movie. He does like to make a, a long movie. Yeah. Well, d- even more kudos then to Fred Astaire for saying yeah. for calling it out too yeah. long. Oh. How do you think Francis Ford Coppola took to being told that it's slopped over some of the scenes <laughs> of his movie, but crucially not the ones Fred Astaire was in. Uh, yes, that was this an interesting true. detail. Yeah, yeah. Fred was happy enough with his his work in it. Well, you can see why they brought in all the PR training and everything to tell them this yeah. is what you say and what you can't say. <laughs> his okay. Irish accent wasn't too bad. At the yeah, start, I was like, morning. this is awful. And then he got a few, he yeah. got a few tongue around a few vowels there. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I don't know. I quite enjoy bad Irish accents too. though sometimes. You know, if, if, yeah, if they've earned it. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. That's, Tom, that's fine. Tom Cruise and Far and Away. Oh. Anyway. A movie I was in myself, uh, would you believe? Yeah. Yes. And I got corrected on my Irish accent by an American voice coach when we were in Montana filming. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I have to go back yeah. and watch this. How yeah. did I not know Tell you were in this movie? movie? I'm a lady of the night um, selling my wares in it. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was. Um, it, I remember when there was a cast and crew showing of it, and in a cinema here, it's the Savoy, as far as I recall, in Dublin, and we all just laughed at the Irish bits of it because um, they had crickets playing to de- denote nighttime in <laughs> Kerry, um, and the sight of the greatest film star at the certainly at the time in the world riding a little donkey um, around the place, his feet, and he's not the tallest of men; his feet were nearly touching the, oh. the ground as he went along that's a, a sweet and yeah. and I think it should be on every Christmas because it's a movie you love more and more yeah. every time you see yeah, it yeah I always loved yeah. his tell me you like my hat Shannon Shannon <laughs> yes yeah what was I've no wish to fight you <laughs> There's another one, I what think. What was the word that you said that you were pulled up on, on your pronunciation? We, it was a rude word, so oh, I'll... Okay. I'd, yeah. Um, I, they, I had to say f- off to somebody and they said, I think you'll find it's f- off. Oh, no. <laughs> and I went, what? And that, I think they oh. thought that that's what they were hearing when we said Will, that. we'll have to cut yeah. that out. <laughs> I'm sorry, Will, yeah. But you may as well know. Uh, yeah, so, and I, I remember thinking, ah, oh, no, I'm not having that. I'm genuinely Irish. I know mm. how to say it. Um, but I looked behind me and there was a bank of producers sitting there. And obviously the guy was just trying to earn his, mm. his, his, you know, his salary. So I went, oh, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, let me do it again. And I did it exactly the same way as I'd always done it. And they all went... That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Thanks for that. Oh yeah. my God, I'm going home today so to watch Far and Away again. <laughs> Let's take a break from my potty-mouthed panel now and listen instead to an interview with the dearly departed Pogues frontman, Shane McGowan, from back in 1985, chatting to BP Fallon. Well, do you know, I mean, you, you, you must be aware of this, how people regard Shane as <clears throat> potentially a sort of bit of a, a looper, an eccentric, uh, a super oddball... Who the who regard me like that? Well, maybe the band. <laughs> God, the uh, band! Well, they got shake. They're I all mean, bunch do, you of think, do you think you're an odd chap? <laughs> huh? Do you think do you think you're an odd chap? Oh, I've got some strange ideas. <laughs> strange habits. Like what? I've just been told I've got strange habits. I didn't. I don't know what. What am I? Do you think though? Do you think? <clears throat> do you think maybe Shane that you're a bit of an eccentric or something? No, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> do you think then? Okay, I'll put it another way in my sort of hoarse voice. Do you think maybe you're an odd sort of lead singer with a combo? Oh yeah, because I mean, what what I'm really doing is uh, a lot of the stuff. With, so I'm, I'm singing stuff that <clears throat> would normally be done unaccompanied or or with a very light, you know. Very sort of much, um, probably much slower and much, much uh, lighter acoustic backing, you know. And because I'm doing it over, I've got quite a loud sort of, you know, a rowdy sound, you know, with an electric bass and stuff, and like really takes it out the old throat, you know. <laughs> oh, the famous laugh! Mm. <laughs> you, you always had that. <laughs> 
he really wasn't biting what BP Fallon was throwing yeah. in there, was he? He was like, You're an odd chap, you're a bit of an eccentric, you're this, you're that. And Shane was like, Don't know what you mean, mate. Yeah. <laughs> and an eccentric looper is super odd. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You know, but surely every lead singer of a punk band yeah. was odd. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the point. Mm. But it's a great one. Shane started talking about the music then at the end. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely on top of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, clearly. It was like he was anyway, only interested. Yeah. He was yes. like, Okay, yeah, when I sing, I suppose, you know, yeah. I, I do use a style that's hard yeah. on the, you know. So, but he yeah. would have been well able to technically explain, you know, if BP hadn't been just such an eejit with questions. <laughs> was, you know? And here's another clip from the same interview. When you started the, the Pogues, I believe the name actually was slightly different. Yeah. yeah. What was it? <laughs> Pogue Brown it was originally. Which means what? Because my bosom. You know what it means. <laughs> do actually. The first time, I'll tell you how I actually learned what that meant is in the first rat single, as in Boomtown, they scratched Matrix number. On the Matrix, they scratched Pogue Mahone, and I said, what does that mean? And the Irish record company, Mulligan, scratched it out. So I know. Yeah, I remember, yeah. So um, how were you found out? Somebody shocked us. Are you that? We don't know who. We don't know who. Somebody shocked us to the BBC. <laughs> and they rang out the Scottish BBC where they got... Gaelic speaking department, Scottish Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic, and um, the whole place sort of collapsed in fits of laughter, you know. And then they told him what it meant, and there was a huge you must have known though. panic. You must, have known, you must have known because <laughs> they'd been playing it, you know. In the you know, you must have known though that people had sussed it out. I suppose we knew that it would happen eventually, but we didn't know didn't when. You why did I mean? you Why did you change the name? <laughs> to make more money. No, I mean, like, uh, yeah, because it was quite simple after that. We weren't going to get anything played on the BBC under the name Pogmahon. You know, people call us the Pogs anyway, like, you know, as as an abbreviation, so we just changed it to that, you know. an amazing story mm. I love that somebody shot them to the BBC yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I bet they had their suspicions as well <laughs> yeah. we don't know who you know. but like I think from the very beginning because they changed the name to the post everyone yeah. didn't they everyone knows the world over and yet still you know I mean I, I know the BBC wouldn't allow it still probably um, but like you know in America there are loads of pubs called Pugmahans and mm. it's literally just a different version of Pug Mahone. Um, incidentally, the Bee Gees uh, started life as the Tossers and were allowed to continue be the Tossers until they reinvented yeah. themselves as the Bee Gees. Yeah, yeah. For instance, yeah. And it's brilliant to hear the music at the end, isn't it? Because mm. he sang so quickly. Apparently mm. the Dubliners, when they were recorded with them, said they had never sung so quickly in their lives. You know, because they really went for it, the Pogues, didn't they? Like they really upped the tempo of all the up-tempo Irish songs. Fantastic. I loved as well he was having, again, no time for BP Fallon who was like, what does Pogue mean? And Shane just goes, you know what it means. Yeah. <laughs> A unique guest here now from 1969. In August of 1969, the programme came from Atlone and 85-year-old James Galvin was one of Paddy Crosby's guests. But, but the question I asked you, did you ever get slapped in school? Never got a slap in my life. Never. Did you ever smoke? Never smoked in my life. Did you ever drink? Well, up to lately. Up to lately? <laughs> I was a pioneer, I suppose, for 40 years. Oh, that was long enough, yeah, wasn't it? Was long enough. Yes. And uh, what about your first dance? Never was at a dance in my life. <laughs> I was at the Foresters there 40 years ago. Easter Sunday night. <laughs> but I didn't dance. But you're... I'm past dancing. No. At 85, it's about the yes, time you went to yes, a dance. Yes, Would have had a good time otherwise. <laughs> um, what, did, what did you work at after leaving school? Oh, I was on the farm. Always on the farm. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember your bicycle? Remember the bicycle you had as a boy? I never rode a bicycle. <laughs> I had asses and horses always. I had no time for bicycles. <laughs> Were you ever involved in any divilment, as the fellow said? No. 
I was a... You know... I, I was a... You were the white-haired the white boy. Yes. John McCormack was born here. Yes. Now, had, did you ever see John McCormack? I went to school along with him. <laughs> were you actually in his class? <clears throat> I was a young fellow in, in the nuns' school over here. Yeah. He lived, he lived opposite the nuns here, number yeah. five Goldsmith Terrace. Do, do you remember him well as a I boy? I told him, sure. I used to give him milk afterwards. That's a boy. Maybe that's what made a great singer, though. You didn't sing yourself, did you? I think I can sing. You can sing, but I mean, at the time, you used to sing. Like you were in a choir with uh, John McCormick. I was. Say. I could sing, all right. You haven't a story about John? No, I couldn't. I could have gone off at the opera company if I wanted to go. <laughs> someone, someone over here says that's a queer one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which opera company was this? Ah, oh, when they used to come around here in the Palomatcha Hall long ago. That's yeah. the Grimes and all them. We yes. used to be singing all the goodbyes up in the well, gallery. What, what? I was going down with John McCormick down to Galway one day. And an excursion. And we were singing Michael O'Meara, John McCormick, James Herbert and me. There was another party in the corner of the carriage, of course. In the olden times, they were all, there was no corridors or anything like that. They were all, do you know, only single carriage. Single. Yes. So there was six or seven of them playing chairs in one corner. We were singing like the devil, the four of us, me and John McCormick. We were raising the roof yeah. with our songs. The latter end, John McCormick was singing the West Away. Yeah. And at the end, one of the fellas stood up and says, hey, Shut up, McCormick, you bloody idiot. You have the whole place at night with your singing. <laughs> oh, Genevieve, I give the world to live again the lovely past. That rose of youth was your unfurled, but now it is withered in the blast. I've seen thy face in every dream. My waking thoughts are full of thee. Thy smile is like the sunny beam that lights along the summer sea. Oh, Genevieve, sweet Genevieve, the days may come James Galvin there from Athlone and not bad for an 85 year old. I'm so glad that presenter got the story about James McCormick or John McCormick out of him. I thought he was going to say, no, I've no stories. We went to school yeah. together and that's it. And then he comes out with that Amazing. amazing. Look, that clip had everything Didn't for me. It? Absolutely everything. Like good storytelling, you know, um, it, uh, the fact, the the so Irish thing that um, oh, I could have been joined the opera company mm. as well. You know, like, you know the John McCormack, great singer, yeah, yeah, but so was I. Yeah. You know, but then he did prove that he could sing at the end with that beautiful song Genevieve. So oh, Obviously. they're not writing them like that anymore. No. Yeah, because I didn't know where it was going at the start. No drinking, no smoking. Never been to a dance. No time for a bicycle. No divinance. No, the wheel. Forget <laughs> the wheel. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> he had asses and horses. That yeah. was all he needed. Yeah, yeah. Could possibly singing away to them. Yeah. I feel like he was wasted on the farm now. 85 and still yeah. able to sing like that. Yeah, I just, uh, I loved that. Yeah, it was yeah. really lovely. Could he ride a donkey like Tom Cruise? So <laughs> there, there are always questions. Always, always. So he'd ride Tom Cruise under the table. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've listened to an amazing variety of archive clips on today's festive edition from Agony Ants who did Panto, The Hunt for Cromwellian Buried Treasure and Hollywood stars with a penchant for attempting Irish accents. But the big question from a panel of Pauline, Jules and Emer is, was it better or was it worse back in the day? What do you think? 
I'm going to confidently say I think it was better. We had still had Shane McGowan mm. riding rings around yep. E.P. Fallon. Yep. We had Fred Astaire saying whatever he wanted about Francis Ford Coppola. I loved all of it. Yeah, I, I have to say, yes, it was better than 100 um, percent. Oh, yeah, fabulous. I mean, the bottom line is it was better. Frankie. Yeah. Frankie was there giving advice. Imagine Frankie That's did a better Canto. world. Yeah, come you know, on. Uh, There's no contest. No. And listen, we don't know yet. Is Pauline going to find the Castle Coote treasure? Oh, yes. Or do Panto next year. <laughs> I'm so conflicted. Uh, 2024. I think you're going to stumble <sighs> across something amazing and have a true crime podcast about the Castle Coote treasure yeah. that's it going to take up the world. Here, yeah, at the end of 2023, that was when it really took off for Pauline McLean. <laughs> So good. Uh, what uh, else? I enjoyed any of the bits. Every single clip. Oh, me we too. They to, were some of the best ones we've brilliant. ever done. Yeah, they were uh, really good. Yeah. Oh, the telephone voice. Oh. I suppose maybe one modern day thing that is better is that we don't have to ring uh, through on numbers. We have our mobile phones now, so we don't have to go through a telephonist. Yeah, and I was I was of the um, time when it became popular for parents to put pay phones into your own house in the 90s because your teenagers oh. were running up the phone bills too really? much. Oh, yeah, and really? then we inevitably found the key, maybe in the wall, just like the Castle Coot <laughs> treasure map, <laughs> opened the, the, the phone box and took the money back out and just kept recycling oh, it. Amazing! <laughs> wow! Well, sorry, Mum and Dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a full disclosure at the mm. end of this year, yes. Thanks so much for listening to this festive look back through the RTE archives. And thanks so much to my panel of Polly McLean, Jules Call, and Emer McLeisett. I hope to see you next summer for a new series of Sure It Was Better. Happy New Year! That was Sure It Was Better, which was devised and produced by Will Hannafin. Well, time now for another glimpse back through the archives. This one from the 1990s. The first year of the new decade was greeted with a bang. This RTE news report from Kevin MacDonald highlights the celebrations. The biggest outdoor event was as usual at Christchurch in Dublin. Thousands turned out to ring in the new year. The Gardaí said it was a most orderly crowd and nobody gave them any trouble during the whole night. SIP2, the new trade union formed from the amalgamation of the IT and GWU and the FWUI, celebrated their new baby with a fireworks display. The fireworks were set off from the roof of the new civic buildings under Christchurch and were seen right across the city. Some decided to start off the new year with a big splash. In Bray, County Wicklow, 150 swimmers took part in the annual swim to raise funds for local charities. Many still wore last night's fancy dress costumes and about 500 spectators turned up for the event. Three new babies were born within a few minutes of the new year. A seven-pound, 13-ounce baby boy was born to Mrs. Lynn Harvey of Shangana Avenue, Ballymun, in Hollow Street Hospital at four minutes past midnight. An eight-pound, one-ounce baby girl was born at two minutes past midnight to Mrs. Helen Lynch of Ballybursa Grange in Waterford Maternity Hospital. But the country's first baby of the new year was a whopping nine-pound, three-ounce baby girl born in the new General Hospital Mullingar at two seconds past midnight to 27-year-old Mrs. Jacintha Holmes Murray from Bishopsgate Street, Mullingar. It was her first baby, already named Ashling, and her mother was delighted with her newfound fame. Oh, I'm thrilled. Thrilled. You're very happy? Yeah. Was it a big ordeal for you to be oh, just first baby of 1990? But it ended great, yeah. 